Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. My name is Jeffrey Zakarian, and you're listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian from iHeartRadio. Today, we're continuing our Turning the Table series, where our executive producer, Chris Haziotis, takes over as our host and puts me in the hot seat to answer questions about how I got to where I am today. This is the third and final episode in this series. If you missed parts one and two, make sure you check out those first. Otherwise, you're going to be picking up on the story of a pretty fleshed out version of myself, which, if you have listened to parts one and two, you know wasn't always the case. Today, Christopher and I talk about what I usually discuss with guests during our fourth and final course together, the future. Those tough questions about growth and risk and balance between work and family that I love to ask our guests towards the end of our conversations Yep, Chris turned those back to me also. Please enjoy. You know, you get to a point where you've opened restaurants, you have these relationships with hotels, and you got to keep growing, right? And some people are satisfied cooking, opening, running restaurants over and over and over again. And you did that for a while. But I'd like to know more about what opportunities there are for people who work in the food world now who have had that chef experience. You know, these days there's, there are things like cruise ship restaurants, consultancies, licensing deals, designing food and beverage programs for restaurants while not running them. You know, this element of the business behind the business, that's something that you seem to be really adept at navigating. Yeah, that's a great question. It's a big question, and I'll try to bite off a small chunks at a time, but I think 
you know, for me, I, I go in a restaurant, a new restaurant, and I see it, and I hear the buzz, and I feel the buzz, and I'm like, oh god, I, I remember, I, you know, I, I feel it, I love it, and but it's separated now, it's compartmentalized into, do I want to do it in the same way I did it before? And you know, it's like Billy Joel. I heard a podcast, and he said, you know, I, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to do any concerts anymore because. I wrote that music in my 20s when my voice was up here. I can't hit those notes anymore. So singing is incredibly physical and difficult. I'm not at that point, but a physicality of opening a restaurant, being there all the time, because people want to see you if you put your name on it, it's very hard. And it's probably the reason a lot of people, a lot of chefs get physically and emotionally run over. The problem of the lifestyle and the problem of the hours needed to launch yourself into a position where you have a brand of sorts. But I think what I've done and what I've tried to do, Christopher, is, okay, I love everything about the restaurant business. I don't just love the food and the artistry. I love teaching. So I love doing Zoom classes and teaching, and I do lots of that. And I love product. I love everything that's about, where's that from, this product, that product. I love all that. I've learned all that. So I'm doing products now with some retail companies to back me and I do the products I want to do. And I love solving problems for a home cook. So I came up with some pans that like were Teflon and cast iron and they work and, and we just created off of that. I still do restaurants, albeit not as many because I don't have the physical time or energy. But I think that my use, I want to be useful to people and bring value to someone. So there will be restaurants, but what kind of restaurants I'll bring will be the restaurants where was serving very simple food, made very specifically, very delicious, with a consistently great vibe in a restaurant. Hustle, bustle, bright, happy, loud, that kind of restaurant. I probably won't do fine dining anymore because it's not who I am anymore. It's, I learned through fine dining, but now I, I choose to want to do something that's more fun and more like I can do more things with the food and have it be laid back enough but still great food. Like you said, in New York, the food is amazing. You can go to food now. You can basically sit at a, an empty plywood table, have a Michelin star meal and Redale glasses, and you're in like a, a restaurant that was probably a deli before, and they just like spiffed it up. And it's $185 prefix. And that's wonderful. You know, the bells and whistles are gone. You don't have to do all that stuff. Really, it's about the food and the experience, and they really get it, and they strip it away. So I think for those who want to do other things, just you know, aim at something. There's so much in the culinary world now that is, like you said, behind the scenes. It's creative, but you don't have any of the brain damage of operating a restaurant, which is a lot of brain damage. No one wants to talk about it. You know what this makes me think of, Jeffrey, is when you had Gail Simmons on, on your show you kind of had a little offhanded comment in your conversation, and, and maybe it was a joke, but you said that you wanted to open an Armenian diner one day, and she said she'd be there. And I just want to tell you, I would be there on day one, too. I think that's a great idea, and I would love to eat that simple, fun, approachable Armenian food. So, <laughs> I just need to find four very old Armenian ladies because <laughs> that's the kind of restaurant where you will have – family in the kitchen. And there are those kind of restaurants, not enough of them. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll have our producer, Jonathan, pull the demographics of who listens to this show. And if we have enough <laughs> Armenian grandmas out there listening, or, or if you are or have an Armenian grandma, oh. reach out to Jeffrey 
and uh, we'll you. make that happen. I, 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 that would be fun because that's the kind of food. That's the first stuff I put in my mouth, and that was still I, I, I reach for those flavors. So I think that this field, someone like myself, I can only open multiples of restaurants, and I put my name on them that I'm sure are going to like be good because once you put your name on it, like they're going to come after you. It's just the way it is. I mean, John George has a gigantic operation. And he has 35 restaurants or 30 restaurants. And that might not sound like a lot because, you know, Chipotle or Sweet Greens has hundreds, you know, Shake Shack has a thousand. To have 30 restaurants at that level is astoundingly complicated. It's amazing. If I were to do 30 restaurants, it would be 30 very simple restaurants. I would aim for 100, but do them very simple. So there's so much opportunity because of the pandemic and because of how food is now so global, so social, so entertainment. It's an entertainment industry. It's no longer a food industry only. Jeffrey, a lot of listeners to this podcast probably first got to know you on TV. You were on Iron Chef America, The Kitchen, Chopped. And these days, food on TV seems like a given, but that wasn't always the case. So I'd love it if you could walk us through that decision early on when you had an opportunity to say, is a TV career something I, as a chef, want to do? It's not proven, but I want to dive in. What was your decision-making process like at the time? Well, I have a couple of, of comments on that one. First of all, when I grew up as a grade school student from the ages, I would say, 9 to that 14 range, and I used to come home for lunch. Uh, I had an hour, and I was 10 minutes away, so I came home for lunch, and Mom would make me uh, lunch, which is very nice of my mom. And she would have it ready on a TV stand, and I would sit in front of the TV and watch my favorite show at the time, which was The Galloping Gourmet. Little did I know that I would be doing exactly what that man was doing on TV in, say, 10 years from then, going to Europe. But The Galloping Gourmet was a show run by a gentleman named Graham Kerr, and his wife produced the show, I believe. It was on PBS. It was extremely successful. I think it ran for 10 seasons. And for, for lack of a better terminology, it's one of the first cooking shows. It was that, Julia Child. That was it. I mean, it was nothing else. And he would dress up in a double-breasted suit and tie, all spiffied out, cravat. And he would run. It was a live show on TV. He'd run down to his kitchen, which is an open kitchen set with a kitchen, an oven, and the cabinets in back, very much like today. And a table set for two in front of the kitchen. And he would show, I went to Italy and today we're cooking, I don't know, vitello tonato or blah, 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 whatever he cooked. And I want to show you what I mean. And then in the back, a screen would come up and it was him in Europe at this restaurant dining with his wife and this candle life. And he's eating and he's showing this and he's going in the kitchen and this flambéing happening. And he's showing on TV a video of what he did. So he had this production company who would go with him and everything was candlelit and he would take this bite he would close his eyes, put his head back, salivate, and just have a glass of wine and like, oh my God, oh my God. And he was eating that dish. They panned over the audience and people were like salivating. You could see them, their mouths opening and closing. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Because at that point in time, something was going on with me. He was like, oh my God. Then he cooked the dish. And then he said, come on, everybody, I'm going to show you how to cook this vitello tonight. And he'd cook it in front of you while drinking probably a bottle of wine. And 
he would pull someone from the audience, tell all stories while he was doing it. So when I had this, and I said, you think that's funny? And he would like beg you, make fun of people while he's cooking this. Okay, back to the veal. And then he would pull one person, sit down, and that was the end of the show. I'm Graham Care, cheers, and clink, and they would eat the dish together. That was the show. And so I'm dying to do that show, A. I've been pitching it forever. And it really made a huge impact on me that it carried forward into the restaurant world. So, but TV, that was the beginning Food Network came around in the late 90s. I think it's 30 years old. It changed the world. Now you have, instead of 200 patrons a day, if we're watching a show, there's a million or two million people watching that show. So there's so many more eyeballs. It jump-started, revved up the restaurant world so that we created in 30 or 40 years in New York and this country what it took 300 years to create in Europe. We caught up and now we surpassed them, I believe, in a lot of ways. So TV is everything. Did I think I was going to be on TV? No. Was I enamored by it? Absolutely. Who couldn't be? So I was enamored by Graham Kerr, the Wild Wild West, James Bond, and then I ended up in France. I mean, go figure. So I think that for me, my first shot came, they gave me this opportunity to be a judge on Chopped, and I'm like, at first I said, what, Chopped? What's the this, what's this show? I, I knew Bobby Flay was on TV, so and he was very successful. And, uh, it was still in the sort of wonky phase, but not in 2007. It was like full-fledged. They said, yeah, you want, they want you to be on Chopped. They want a really successful chef. And at that time, I'd ran a lot of restaurants and I had like a lot of th- good reviews. And they wanted a food expert. They had like different personalities. Someone, a chef, a restaurateur, and maybe a baker, something like that. It was always a mix. And I uh, heard the premise of the show. I thought it was ridiculous at first. And then I went to do a sizzle reel. We didn't get paid anything for it. It was in a... You know, I remember how, how wonky it was, and I'm like, this is never going to last. And that was 12 years, 750 episodes later. And I never forget when I was invited after that to do Iron Chef, and, and I won in 2011, and everyone said, I never knew you were a chef. I thought you were a judge on <laughs> Chopped. And I was like, wow. It dawned on me that perception is everything. It's perception. It's not reality. It's perception of reality. Didn't matter how many stars I had, how many years I cooked for 30 years, killing myself, you know, cooking for not making any money. And that didn't matter. It was like, you're on TV. Now they know you're a chef. So it was like an aha moment, right? So the power of TV is something you need to really use if you have the ability to use it. And I'm blessed to have the ability to use it. Now, I worked very hard to get on TV. And I'm thankful that I got on TV because of my relationship with food and my knowledge of restaurants and food. That's great. So I'm doing what I'm naturally good at doing. So I think that there's no end. Now social media is like really lo- you know, lost it. And there's TikTok cooking, there's IGTV, Facebook, Twitter. Every imaginable person now has, is a cook. Every actor is a cook. Every author now has a favorite recipe. It's like, it's another part of the world that they are now allowed to open up the world to their love of food because it's, it's ingratiating. It's shown to me, make you human. And people go nuts. And that is why it can't end. The paradigms change, but it's not going to end because you do it three times a day. And it's one of the most enjoyable reasons to be alive is to eat. And the access now to, with TV and social media to food, even if it, you're watching someone cook or watching someone do a, a kitchen hack, is remarkable. It's just remarkable.
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Mother's Day is coming, and mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit bartesian.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Jeffrey, anyone who's paid attention to your social media, who's watched you on The Kitchen, anyone who has even come across your name in the past three, four, five years, they know that family is super important to you. Your wife, Margaret, is your business partner. Your daughters are writing a cookbook. Tell me what it's like to fold family and cooking and business all into the same basket. It's a delightful basket. I wake up every morning. I'm so grateful that I have the ability to somehow pull off my eating, love of eating into like a career that can help provide for my family. And my family is learning to provide now by writing that cookbook. And my daughters wrote that themselves without my help and it became a bestseller. And I'm so proud of them. And I'm like, well, that's a good way to get into college. You wrote a book at 12. That's cool. That's really cool. And I try to tell them that whatever you want to do, 
that's a cool thing to do, and you might not know the impact of it now, but it, it does register. And big, I'll go ahead but, and plug that for you, Jeffrey. Listeners, that, that book is The Family That Cooks Together. It came yeah. out in 2020. Yeah, imagine, right in the middle of the pandemic. Hey, it came out. Fa- family, family and home cooking during lockdown became a, a very, very important thing. I think that's something that you really conveyed, too, through your social media, through your videos, You know, really reaching out to people during a time when, when we were all at home. You know, it was one of those things like, let's take a breath. We all took a collective breath. And you're on social media. You're not going to work. Your kids aren't going to school. What are you doing? We're doing the same thing we used to do, except we enjoyed it a whole hell of a lot more. I mean, we sh- I shopped. We grew a garden. We did all the things that are mundane, sort of silly. You think they're goofy. You never get a chance to do it. But I'm going to tell you something. I challenge anybody here, the smartest person that's listening. (laughs) I challenge anybody. I challenge Jeff Bezos to go buy an acre of land, plant it himself, and grow and eat what he grows. It's hard. The skill of farming is right up there. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say that. It is so difficult so reliant on nothing. You can't control anything. All you can control is watering and you know the am- amount of knowledge you get and what kind of dirt to use. That's about it. You can't control the sun. You can't control the wind. You can't control the plant. You can't control bacteria, flies, infestation, anything. You can't control rabbits. You t- it's hard. And when you learn how to do that, you, you really have an appreciation for what, you, what goes into the people that do this for a living. It's just like you assume to find these perfect peppers and packaged baby zucchini all labeled and numbered and waiting and being spritzed with water. It's just like, oh, it's there, no problem. It's a huge problem. You learn that during pandemic. And I think we all learned uh, valuable lessons about like, all right, let's be grateful for what we have and just see how hard it is and how lucky we have it that basically at a click, you can get anything you want from anywhere in the world. You have no idea how lucky we are to be at this juncture. So I think a lot of that came to it. And I think the viewers, we just post me cutting an onion. I'll be cutting an onion. And my wife, Margaret, would say, well, like, let me, oh, hold on a second. What are you doing? I'm cutting an onion. I said, let me get that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and you'd get 150,000 people liking it. I'm like, wow. And of course, this is doing the kitchen. We've been working on it, but we never really paid attention to the posting. And so now... We just do simple things that would be to me like, I don't know, like how to mow your lawn, you know, would be that sort of mundane. But it's fascinating that people that really are interested in, in, in the pandemic behind the curtain, right? It's like the Wizard of Oz. Now you're in, my, in my, my kitchen, you're seeing my products, you're seeing my oven and people comment, oh, I love that oven. Oh, I have one of those too. I'm using the same salt. You know, it's like it's this humanity again. And it resonated. And it resonated with us as a family. My wife and I were working together for years, but this year was really tough because now we're working together and then now, we're, now you're on the camera and I'm cooking and there's no prep helping. It's like we're actually working, you know, and we're gardening and we're raising and we're running a school, right? I've never worked so hard in my life, but I, I, I honestly, just to say this with all my heart, it was, it was a remarkable gift in a lot of ways. And we talk about it all the time. So we wrote a book. It was finished long before the pandemic. We just wrote this book that we thought would be nice to write about what we cooked together. It miraculous, as miraculous things happen, it was very timely. And so 
the family that cooks together, it eats together. The family that cooks together does eat together. And it's the, I always say it's the most important time you have is the, is the time you sit around the table and, and eat because you, you need to talk. You'll fight and you'll like want to leave the table and you'll check your Instagram, but you're like you're around the table and that is very important. So like I said, I'm blessed to have this family that's interested in this business. I don't know how interested they're going to, but I don't really care. It's like whatever makes them happy and, and you know, I think they'll find that. I mean, it took me a long time to find it. And I thought I found it in economics, but it like kind of found me. So I, I hope it happens to them in a sort of serendipitous way like that because it's, it's really fun when it happens. When you don't know, it's going to happen. Jeffrey, we started this conversation talking about some of your earliest food memories, things that your Polish dishes, Armenian dishes, the things that your parents, your aunt, you know, your, your family really gave you these memories through dishes. And, and it may have just been that something that was cooked. To them, it may have been super ordinary. But to you, that's an iconic taste. And so I think the more that you and, and anyone listening, but, but that you have these experiences in the kitchen with your daughters, with your son, that's the way that you form those memories, right? We, we sit around the table. And the more you do that, who knows what memories we will pass along to our kids. You know, they may... They may love one thing they had one time, and to you that was a forgettable dish that, that really didn't, you know, <laughs> it's not something you'd put back on the menu, but they loved. So this is kind of you're taking an active hand in building that foundation in the same way it was built for you through family and through togetherness and, and through time at the table. Yeah, and I, you know, it also dovetails for me into like being of use to someone and being of use to yourself and what, what are you doing for a living? And I think of it all the time about like, you know, people say, what are you driving? You're always doing this. You're doing so much. How can you do this? You're everywhere. And I'm like, I know, I think I, I don't think I'm everywhere. I think I, I feel like I could do more. And I, and I feel like when I'm most satisfied and, and I think that the word happy is, is a minefield, but when I feel that I'm being helpful, helping someone or bringing value to someone or smile to someone's face is when I feel that sense of like, this is it. This is what meaning, the meaning of like content means. You're content. I'm content when I put a piece of food down for people and I call them around the table and they start eating it and I see their face and their reaction and they're really eating it and really enjoying it. And for those few moments, an hour, you've made six, eight, ten people happy and they're enjoying the process of eating because it is a process. And that is very gratifying. I can only tell you that's very gratifying. Those things gratify me. And you can tell right away when it doesn't gratify. It just doesn't feel, it's like, oh, I, this is, I'm just going through the motions here. It doesn't feel right. So I always try to tell people, like, find something that when you do it, you're gratified. It brings value to someone. It brings, brings a smile. It sounds simple, but it's like, it helps the daily chaos. It really does. And then your days become full of gratifying moments. And you pass them on to your kids. And Look, I, I'd be crazy to tell you that I'm not trying to make the kids understand table manners and get to the table. They all know it's you sitting down. We don't grab breakfast and leave. And they understand that this ritual is important to our family, this particular ritual. So some families have different rituals, but the ritual of sitting down, pausing and putting something that is made for you and re being respectful of the person that makes that and being respectful of, like I said before, the people that grow and make this food, it's like kind of remarkable that it all works 
and I try to tell my children, this is what this means. This is what you don't get. And what was wonderful is to watch them write the book and like, Dad, we have to do it again. Well, yeah. That's great. Yeah, the recipe again. How many times? Until it's right. Well, Jeffrey, that, that makes me really value the very first time you and I ever met. It was over breakfast. And, uh, and so I, I appreciate that. Jeffrey, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Chris. Thanks very much for listening to Four Courses this year. I've truly enjoyed talking with so many amazing guests. Myself and our team are taking a short break until after the new year, and then we'll be back soon with more exciting updates. Don't forget to subscribe to Four Courses on your favorite podcasting app, and we'll be back before you know it. Happy holiday and have a great new year. Thanks very much for listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian, a production of iHeartRadio and Corner Table Entertainment. Four Courses is created by Jeffrey Zakarian, Margaret Zakarian, Jared Keller, and Tara Halper. Our executive producer is Christopher Haziotis. Four Courses is produced by Jonathan Hawes Dresler. Our research is conducted by Jesslyn Shields. Our talent booking is by Pamela Bauer at Dogtown Talent. This episode was edited and written by Priya Mahadevan. Special thanks to Katie Fellman for help as recording engineer. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Because there's nothing like a weekend pause with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.